0: I went in there, and uh, sure enough, he was punching the restaurant workers.
1: Listen up, gang. Lucky Gunner has both fantastic content and great prices on ammo. Enjoy the convenience of online purchase and crazy, super fast shipping. Experience why Lucky Gunner is one of our favorite spots on the Gunternet. Get-asp.com forward slash Lucky Gunner. And while you're there, you'll find Magtech Ammunition. Magtech is the exclusive range ammo for the Actor Self-Protection team, and we are grateful for their commitment to quality and support. You can buy Magtech Ammo at the Lucky Gunner link. Remember to tell them that you heard about them on the ASP podcast. Alrighty, gang, welcome back to the Actor Self-Protection podcast. I am yet again your host, Mike Wolliver, and I am your favorite... Former Fed with us on the line today is another new friend of mine. I know, I know, I hear you, Mike. you got so many new friends. Well, I just do. Uh, first of all, he's my tokayo. His name is Miguel Iniguez. He's from uh, Odessa, Texas, and he wrote in with a, a rather interesting, uh, interesting lesson for us to learn. There, there's quite a few lessons, and one of it's about third-party stuff that isn't happening to you. Do I get involved? That's a question we get all the time. And I think that will be applicable here. He told me a little bit about his incident and a news article. We'll get into that more uh right now. And it's a shame for our uh our lady listeners that they can't see him. He is a handsome man, I'm gonna warn you. Uh Miguel, how are you, sir? Doing good. All right. Well, uh I did say you're in Odessa. Are you married? You got kids?
0: Yeah, I got uh three kids.
1: I'm nice. married. Very nice. Uh, and he is in concrete work. And as I told him during our pre-interview, he does real work. Uh, that's that's hard work. I'm sure he has very calloused hands and is a strong individual, which will come into play later on in the story. So tell us, uh, Miguel, before your incident, uh, you know, this is kind of a standard question to ask everybody. Did you have a lot of self-defense experience? Are you a CCW holder, martial arts, anything like that?
0: Well, um, in Texas, we have open carry. Okay. So, uh, you know, you just uh, have a gun you can carry if you, you know legal holder of a gun you can carry and um i've have uh i have done some uh uh jiu-jitsu but not like for real big training you know gone to the mats here and there okay i've always like stuff like that so it's not not nothing like formal training
1: so do you uh, do you make it a habit of carrying a firearm
0: I usually, i pretty much always carry.
1: Okay, yeah. and you said you said open carry. I want to make sure we delineate. So, do you carry openly, or do you concealed carry without a permit? Because that's illegal in Texas. I
0: can, yeah, uh, well, it's it's I concealed carry without a permit. Okay. Open carry. It's it, here in Texas. It's a constitutional carry. Like we can. Conceal carry or open carry. Either right.
1: one. Yeah. And you, without a license. If you've watched the channel more than once, you know that we're not big fans of open carry. If it can be, if it's the only way you can carry a firearm, okay, fine. But, um, we prefer the people conceal wherever, wherever possible. So, uh, about how long ago was your defensive encounter?
0: What was it? Um, uh, the 28th of, uh, March. So it was probably two weeks ago. something like that. So
1: this is pretty fresh. Okay, good. That way it's fresh. Yeah. It's fresh. It's fresh in your memory as well. So you were out in public, uh, we're, at the time, were you carrying a firearm? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was carrying.
1: Spoiler alert, uh, he did not draw his firearm. So that's why this is a little bit uh, interesting in a way we haven't had before. So kind of walk us through where you were and what you were doing and, and what tipped you off. Something wasn't quite right.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I was driving down the street and uh, some guy, he almost, uh, he ran, pretty much ran into the street. He almost he turned right before uh, I would have ran him over and he turned back into the parking lot and there was a restaurant worker standing outside sweeping like sweeping the park like around the sidewalks and stuff and he started uh running towards him and that restaurant worker took off running and he was chasing him down and he uh he barely made it to go into the restaurant like the restaurant worker closed the door on him and i was at the entrance where i i had to break real hard where i almost uh, ran him over so we i just went into the parking lot to see you know what was going on and uh, he went, when he wasn't able to go into that door where he chased that restaurant worker at, um, it was at a, a Rose's Cafe. They didn't release the, the security footage. I guess they didn't. They were uh, scared of, like, I guess, lawsuits or whatever. But, okay. um, and uh, he went inside. And when, when I went in there, I parked in the parking lot. And he went into the other door. And then I could see he started chasing everybody around. He was chasing everyone around. And I, I got off, told my wife, Yo, I'm going to go in there, make sure everything's good. And uh, I went in there. And uh, sure enough, he was, uh, you know, punching the, the restaurant workers and and the all the ladies, the whole staff, probably 20 people running around like chickens around the kitchen, <laughs> you know, and he's chasing everybody around. It was wild. So, you know, I got I went up to the kitchen. And he, uh, he had stopped, he had stopped, uh, uh, chasing everybody. Everybody was on one side of the kitchen. He was on the other side. And then, uh, he like rushed towards me and I tackled him. That's where I tackled him. To, uh,
1: so it was, is it, it, he's running around chasing people around, does he appear to be armed or no?
0: Um, I could see he had a pocket, you know, he had a pocket knife, Okay, but he didn't have it pulled and, uh, the kitchen was full of, you know, full of knives. The whole sure whole kitchen's full of knives. But he didn't have nothing in his hands. That's why I chose not to draw my gun and escalate this. You know, I've seen pretty much every video you and John have made. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's good. You sometimes, I, I'm glad y'all make those videos, bro. I'm glad to be able to tell y'all. It makes a difference because those situations, like a few of the things y'all say about knowing what you're going to do before you're in that situation. Mm-hmm. Y'all say that a lot. And it sure does, uh, you know. You think about it when it when something crazy going down. You're not like you don't go blank. You you think of those things and like I already know in my mind. You know I'm going to defend peace. if somebody somebody's mom, somebody's wife, somebody's uh, sister. Mm-hmm. I'm going to defend. That's already in my mind. Um, the other one was, uh, you know, about that. Y'all've gone over a few videos. I've seen a few videos. Is just because you can shoot somebody doesn't mean you should right. or 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 that you should escalate to that. You know, so I saw he didn't have his knife out, so definitely didn't draw my gun. And then I've seen a bunch of videos too where they draw their gun and then he rushes you mm-hmm. and you're for shoot because then he's gonna take your gun. It's like right, I don't need to take my gun out yet right now.
1: Yeah, we just had a guest on not long ago um who who along with his attorney uh, who who intervened in a very violent domestic out front of his house. And uh, just like you're talking about here, he, he, you know, he had a gun with him. He drew it uh, against a violent but sort of unarmed person. And then he, you know, that gun didn't scare that guy off. He, he continued his assault. And now now you've introduced a gun to the situation. Maybe it's justified. Maybe it's not. But now here we are. Potentially, you're now fighting over a gun when that wasn't on the table before. So. As he's running around is he saying anything is he is he is he screaming anything? Is he looking for anything particular? Can you sort of gauge what he's there for or who he's after or is he just a crazy guy?
0: no, I could tell he was out of it, but he was screaming he wasn't killing everybody, and he was uh just you know punching the ladies and they were you know trying to get out of the way and he's swinging at nothing sometimes you know he was swinging at everything people nothing in the air, so he was out of it well what one thing that I saw that I guess some people they just uh you know they they can't think right with something like that's going down cuz one of the managers was telling them like sir you can't be in the kitchen he's punching people yeah. and telling everybody's going to kill him and she thinks that it's a good time to uh, telling me that he's not supposed to be in the kitchen. I was like, <laughs> leave him alone. Yeah. People just kind of there.
1: People say goofy stuff uh, under pressure. Um, it's <laughs> kind of like when, when, the, when a cop is in a, a knockdown drag out and he's calling the, the perpetrator, sir, over and over again and giving yeah. the same command over and over again that he's obviously not going to listen to had, had anyone else as, as he comes towards you, had anyone else in the restaurant appeared to step up or try to do anything about this? Or are they all just kind of running for their lives?
0: Oh, not at all. That's another thing I've uh, I've always, uh, you know, seen y'all uh, talk about where, you know, you can't rely on anybody helping you. Most everybody will have nothing to do with defending anyone. That's like a good 99% of
1: people. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. that's, a, that's so pretty accurate.
0: No, nobody helped. There was a bunch of men eating there and there was a bunch of men working there. And everyone was running away and just screaming. And, uh, I got one guy to help me. Once I tackled him, I was holding him in a headlock and I was holding, no, I was holding him. You know, that move where you hold your little brother, where you tell him, <laughs> quit choking yourself. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've That's never heard pro- it called that, but I, that does paint a picture. Yes. I know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. I had him in that move, you know, so I could hold his hands, but keep them under control still. And, um, I tried to get some guy to hold his legs. I was like, get his legs. And he held his legs for about two seconds. He just barely moved a little bit, like kicked his legs. The guy screamed and ran off. Oh, boy. uh...
1: (laughs) This does not sound very Texas of these men. You know what I mean? Oh, no, (laughs)
0: It wasn't. (laughs) It was kind of sad.
1: So at some point he stops chasing everyone else and he comes right towards you. Is he looking at you? Is he like, I guess I'm trying to get a gauge of was he under the influence of something, do you think? Um, Or was he just having some sort of mental episode or both?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was under the influence for sure. Um, That's why it was kind of dumb. When when he stopped chasing everybody and he was just standing there, Um, I didn't do nothing because he wasn't doing nothing. You know, I was like, all right, you're just standing there. You know, because he was punching the ladies and then they all ran to one side of the restaurant and he just stood there like uh, kind of screaming and just standing there on his own. Like even so, uh, that's when that other lady was telling him that he couldn't be in the kitchen. And I was like, I told her, I was like, be quiet, just leave him alone. If he's just, if he's not messing with no one for a couple seconds, leave him alone. Quit yeah. telling him he can't be in the kitchen. He knows, probably doesn't care if he can't yeah, be can
1: in the kitchen. Yeah, I can hear it in my head. Sir, you can't be in the kitchen. Um, oh. <laughs> so, so I, I guess I guess our guests, or guests excuse me I guess our audience is wondering so when he's when he's punching these women are these good solid blows or is he just sort of haymaker it?
0: Um, yeah kind of you know he was hitting uh, hitting them but not you know like solid connecting like punching the poor ladies in the back and stuff that's when I went in there mm-hmm. as soon as I went in he was hitting them and they ran off and he stood there alone so I stood there and then, uh, you know, he wasn't hurting nobody. So I was like, all right, if the cops are coming, we'll let him stand there if he's not hurting nobody. But then he kind of focused on me and rushed towards me. That's when I tackled him.
1: So is, is, uh, you've got him on the ground now. Is he, is he actively fighting against you hard, or is he kind of resigned to the fact that he's, he's been restrained?
0: Hard. Oh, yeah. No, he was, he was trying hard, uh, trying hard to get away. And he was a little you know, shorter than me, I'm six two, like two ten, something like that. So he's he was probably like five ten and a little, you know, probably hundred and eighty. So uh-huh. I, I outweighed him. But he was on on meth or whatever he was on. So he was pretty strong, a lot stronger than a person his size, you know. So um I I couldn't let go of his hands. He kept trying to go for the knife. And uh
1: Ooh, that would have been bad. Yeah, it was gonna escalate really quick there. Yeah. Sure. so as he you're laying there struggling do you do you know for a fact someone has called nine one one to get the police on their way or or is that been said to you or are you just sort of wondering hoping someone's done that
0: no i i did because when i went in there i told my wife to call 9 one okay. so she was she, i knew at least one person had called that
1: yeah it's just, a, it's just an intermediate lesson in the middle of this talk is um if if you are involved in any kind of incident whether you witnessed a car accident someone's injured and you're going to tend to that thing whether it's a defensive encounter or not um don't don't just yell somebody call 911 cuz that re- everyone thinks someone else has done it it's funny cuz uh-huh. e- either you get you get 13 callers or no callers so it's best in that situation you know you had your wife there fortunately but if there's no one there that you know point to someone and you say you make sure they see you you call 911 and tell them what's going on and hopefully um describe me and that I'm not the bad guy, please like tell them I'm the, um, I'm the guy with the, the beard and the, you know, the, the gray, sh- the gray Henley t-shirt on or whatever. Um, yeah. it's, it's a best practice in those yes. situation. So about how long does it take for the police to show up?
0: It took them a good little bit. They're understaffed here in Odessa. And, uh, it took them like 10 minutes. It was pretty long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were so there. And I finally got two other guys to hold his legs and they did hold his legs. They were, begging me they're like please don't let him go <laughs> they were begging yeah. i was like i'm not gonna let him go you know just hold his legs because it, it all he was he was just kicking things around so you know he was struggling trying to get away the whole time and um yeah so you know i'm sure you 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 know because you were a cop so anybody that's thinking to take down a crackhead or a drugged <laughs> up meth addict. They don't stop like a regular person would. Just give up. <laughs> they're going to keep going.
1: And yeah. Keep going. No, they're like the energizer bunny. So once yeah. <laughs> the, once the police get there, um, how does that transition go? Because at some point you've got to get off him while they get on him. Um, and did you let them know? Hey, he has a knife. He's been trying to reach for it, or that sort that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, they did it when, when they got there. We still struggled with him for about another two minutes, three minutes. It, it wasn't quick. To, a cop got there, and um, he we were trying to get his hands out to put the handcuffs on and then another cop got there and we still did another probably another minute or something till we finally got him he was fighting pretty good he took off uh, you know me and the two cops to pry his arms out around him to get the handcuffs on yeah and after that that's when i you know i i got away from there they just told me thanks yeah
1: got, i gotta say um for people who've never tried to handcuff someone who doesn't want to be handcuffed, it is it is not easy. It doesn't. They don't need to be a big bodybuilder, muscular dude trying to handcuff um, a smaller female if they don't want to be handcuffed. is is way harder than you would think it to be. And I'm a big guy, um, and I you know if someone, especially if they're prone on the ground, their hands are underneath them. Trying to pull their arms behind their back is as as you can as Miguel now knows is a lot harder than it looks when you're watching cops on TV. Oh yeah, yeah. So they they get them yeah. they get him cuffed up. Do, do they ask you for any kind of statement? Do you have to talk to them afterwards?
0: Man, they didn't. Man, my coffee was getting cold. We were gonna go to Huddle House, so I was like, I gotta get out of here.
1: All right. So I'm sure the listeners want to know what did you order at Huddle House?
0: Oh, just had some pancakes
1: and a coffee. Nice. <laughs> Nice. In fact, I was out with my wife this morning um, taking our dog to the vet and she complained I've not taken her for pancakes in a long time. So I need to make a note oh, yeah. to take the lovely and fetching Mrs. Willover out for some pancakes. Uh, yeah. Miguel, uh, After
0: I got up, you know, the, like uh, the people that were eating, everybody was, hey, thanks for helping us. Thanks. I was like, you know, I didn't mind. I was like, all right, yeah, do not worry about it. But it's kind of sad how there could be that many men. And even my wife said, she's like, that's pretty scary. She's like, imagine if something ever goes down. I'm I'm somewhere I could pretty much not count on, on most everybody to help out,
1: at all. Yeah, one of our uh, one of our sayings around the in the halls of active self protection is, "No one's coming to save you." Uh, if you're now, this was something you you chose to get involved in, and I'm, and I'm glad you did. It sounds like nobody else is going to take care of it, so I'm glad that you did. But to our listeners, it's a very individual uh, decision to the person. And to the situation whether or not you want to get involved with something, because um, it could end really, really poorly, uh, depending. you could end up, you know, uh, injuring a third party or whatever. There's so many possible bad outcomes that could happen. Um, but I think in this case, you were the rescue party. there was nobody else who was going to step up and, and handle it. So I think a big lesson here is if you find yourself in a situation, you can't count on anyone to do what I consider to be the right thing, which is to jump in and help. Uh once you've already done the lion's share of the work and gotten the guy contained, hey man, just ho- hold on to his feet for five minutes, please. Um it's not a big ask. Uh and that that is that is kind of I'm I'm gonna tell you that is kind of sad that you're in a, a crowded restaurant and literally no one uh un- until you've handled it, nobody wants to get involved. They're sort of all all watching. Uh have yeah. you heard if you heard the term bystander syndrome?
0: Yeah, I've, I've seen that. I've heard yeah. about that.
1: It's very real. Um uh, people will Uh, slow down to look at a wreck on the freeway but they won't stop to help um they 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 want to see the bad thing that's happening but they definitely don't want to get involved so it sounds like you were the man for the job did did the police uh get your name or anything did they be able to follow up with you as far as telling you yeah the guy's in jail or he's going he's going to
0: yeah when i was uh you know once we they got him handcuffed i was walking out and uh, they got my name outside
1: uh, okay have they followed up with you at all about the arrest or no
0: they followed up. They let him out again. He got posted bail, and then he uh, got assault with a deadly weapon on some two other people the next week.
1: Yeah, uh, unfortunately, none of that, none of what you just said is shocking. The fact that he got out so quickly, and the fact that he reoffended. Um, <laughs> yeah, people say it's a revolving door, and unfortunately, lately, especially, that's entirely true. That uh, you go to jail and get right back out to reoffend. Uh, Miguel, I don't want to leave anything out. Is there anything uh, you wanted to to let our listeners know that you haven't said yet?
0: And I don't think so. I think that um the one thing that I did see, and I've I've seen that on your on your videos, um, where everybody wants to just be watching. Nobody would help, but they sure were watching. And if he got to his knife, I was gonna have to get to my gun. You know, mm-hmm. I carry it all on my back. So at that moment, there's gonna be a knife getting swung around and bullets getting thrown around too. And yeah. a whole kitchen full of people just standing there watching. They were they were not uh, brave enough to help. So I think, the, you know, people need to get out. If they're not going to do nothing, get out of the way. Because, you know, it, it was that close. He was going for it. He was trying to get to his knife. And, I you know, I told him, look, you go for your knife. I'm going to go for my gun. So quit going for it.
1: Right. So you, you know? told him that. You verbalized that.
0: Yes. Yes. I told him that.
1: Okay. So this actually does lead to another, another point. Um, I cannot physically cannot carry appendix carry. Um, I, one of, one of our buddies, Gabe new owners own holster company looked at just the shape of my, my waist and torso for years. I'm wearing a duty belt. Maybe, I don't know. I'm oddly shaped and I just can't do it. I'd like to, my son does, John does, Neil does, uh, it bugs. It, yeah, <laughs> I know. But, but I think, I think the point I'm trying to make is there's a lot to be said for that having the gun in that position, uh, because you don't have to take your free hand and reach all the way around the back of you while you're trying to restrain someone. If you had to draw it, it might've been easier. That's, that's the only thing. Um, and yeah, it's not comfortable. I I think anyone who says, Oh, it's fine. is lying to you. It it takes some getting used to, I I tried it for a while and you know, I, I had a permanent indent on my, on my pelvic area from where the barrel of the gun kept hitting, but it is, it is, I think the most efficient, um, safest way to carry if you can you should try it uh if you don't you don't i'm just glad you had your gun on you that day in in, in the uh unlikely event you had to have used it you were definitely ready for that um dur- during that moment when you're, you're saying those words had he gotten that hand free and been able to get to the knife i mean were you had you thought through okay if this then i'm going to do this like did you given that do you have time to think about that
0: yeah yeah definitely yeah I, um yeah it wasn't like a haze or nothing you know i was clearly thinking you know if he gets because his hands and the thing was he was getting he he never stopped fighting so after two three four five six minutes it was like 10 minutes to the cops got there it you're you're holding tight and he's trying to let go and he's sweaty so it was not a a matter of um you know of thinking what do i do you know if he did let go if his hand did let go if he let it free it it was he was trying to get to the knife Mm -hmm. and he grabbed the knife you know i knew it's not i'm not gonna wait to see how many times or what the knife feels like Right. if it gets to that point hey uh one of us got to go home and it's gonna be me
1: well miguel man i want to thank you so much for writing in for for being willing to come on and tell your story i say this every time for for folks like you um, first of all, getting involved and in helping these people, but second of all, being willing to come on the show, there wouldn't be a show because no one's going to uh, listen to me talk by myself for an hour every week. <laughs> so, thanks again. It was an absolute pleasure meeting you, and if you're coming through Tucson, uh, look me up for sure. We'll get a coffee or something.
0: You bet, man. Sounds good. Yeah, good
1: thanks again. righty, gang. That was a short one, I'll admit, but it's over now, and it's time for your... Well, it's your favorite time of week, isn't it? Time for the Gutowski Files. Starring Stephen Gutowski, he is the founder of the TheReload.com and the host of the Weekly Reload podcast. And I told him, Stephen, short interview this week, we have time to relax and settle in to some Gutowski goodness for a little extra time. Sir, how are you? All
2: right. You know what? I'm doing pretty good. I uh, I bought a new carry gun.
1: Oh, well, uh, do tell. What'd you get?
2: Yeah, I got uh, this John approved from... A comment that he left on my Facebook. So okay. that's, this is a positive. Uh, it's a six hour P three, six, five X, uh, P three, six, five X macro with the Romeo zero elite site included, uh, installed from the factory. So, uh, big upgrade for me over the Springfield XDS that I'd been carrying, mm-hmm. uh, which by the way, the XDS, just to point this out, um, Different design from the XDs, the other XD series guns. Uh-huh. Uh, so, um, just as a, I know John doesn't like the XD series. A lot of people don't like the XD series. The XDS was was an up, It was basically an upgraded version. Did it, it have so. a
1: grip safety? Yes or no?
2: It did have a grip safety, Fail. which is actually something I liked about it. Uh,
1: well, I, know- I, I don't know if you remember, you were on this episode but way way back near the beginning, but we had it. We had a young man on. Who um, was minding his own business at work, and a guy came in with a machete and attacked one of his coworkers, mm-hmm. uh, and then ended up uh, wrestling with this guy, machete in one hand, gun in the other, with a um, Springfield XD. And because mm-hmm. of the angle he had on the guy, he couldn't couldn't get the get a, it was out of battery basically because he couldn't activate the grip safety, and therefore he couldn't fire. He could he could have ended it way sooner. So that's my that's my beef with the with the XD.
2: That's fair. That's a fair critique. I the reason I liked it and I had liked it for a long time. So I, first of all, the first gun I carried was this Smith & Wesson M&P shield in 40 caliber. Oh boy. Uh, with a m- manual safety. So a thumb safety. Mm-hmm. So the XDS besides the fact that it's 9mm and not a 40 so it's a little less snappy and holds holds more rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd liked I handling a gun a lot, it's not the worst thing in the world to have uh, a mechanical safety that you have to physically uh, disengage. And the grip safety is preferable in my mind for concealed carry. If you're going to, if you're going to go with a mechanical safety, I'd rather have a grip safety than a thumb safety. Cause you don't actually have to do anything to disengage it other than grip the, the gun properly. Right. Um, but obviously, like you just mentioned, that's, the downside of that is if you can't grip the gun properly, you can't shoot it. Uh, But the main reason I upgraded is capacity. It's actually because I watched an ASP video, one of the extended videos that's on the the app. So we can Mm -hmm. plug, it's a nice plug for the app. It actually made me me, uh, actually go and and buy this new gun. And it was the the video on capacity, right? How how many Mm -hmm. rounds do you really need? and uh what happens in real life and you know as we've talked about before on the show surveys indicate that something like 80 80 plus percent of self-defense incidents involving a gun don't involve anyone actually pulling the trigger right so you know in theory you don't need any rounds in most cases but as you go up that ladder and john you john does a great job of showing this in the in the full length video you know you might need 17 plus rounds mm-hmm. in a self-defense situation there are videos of people in regular old instances basically multiple attacker right.
1: scenarios
2: right where they needed all 17 rounds to get through that fight and and you know reloading basically never happens in civilian gunfights, right. so you kind of need 17 rounds or as many rounds as you can get and still comfortably conceal, so that you actually do it. Yeah, uh, the, you know, the, the that's diff- what you should. In me, to my mind, that's that's a big priority. So that's why I went with the macro.
1: Yeah, the difference being, you know, it, it really what you carry should be based on your mission. That's what John preaches during his class, uh, the class he just gave at the NRA meeting. As a matter of fact. What's your mission? Your mission as a private citizen, generally speaking, is to defend yourself and your family. You know, the police mission is different. They, they, as John says, they chase goblins down holes. So they, you know, reloads during police engagements with a firearm are actually fairly common. Um, in my, here's where I land on as far as should a private citizen have a reload. Um, it's better to have it not need it that's where i land on that i'd rather yeah. you know i'd rather you have you know have everything you possibly need without being ridiculous you know and weighing 800 pounds be weighed down with gear where your pants are falling down but you know <laughs> i i i don't i don't see a downside to carrying an extra magazine as long as you have the other tools that you need at your disposal like if, you, if you're carrying an extra yeah. mag and you're not carrying some kind of trauma gear you're wrong um that should be a priority over an extra mag because you might need that trauma gear for something completely unrelated to crime or, or whatever you need right. that for a car accident or, you know, someone cuts their arm right. on a, on a window pane or whatever. At any rate, moving on. And by the way, oh, go ahead. uh, before we get into the meat of this, mm-hmm. so the, th-
2: this gun comes with the the red dot installed on it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I take it to the range and I go to zero it. And first of all, I'm not. You know, I, I really need to go back and zero it from a bench rest and do it properly. But I'm shooting the gun to just to see where I'm at, and it's kind of gaslighting me because if you <laughs> guess where the rounds were hitting. Low left. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> low left. And so I was like, "Am I? Am I just flinching? Can really consistently? And right. Missing?
1: Extremely. They call it the beast for a reason, but it's usually not that consistent.
2: Right. I was like. 'Cause like you know, it's like, oh, okay, it's it's down to the left. I get maybe I must be flinching. I'm just gonna really concentrate on not flinching, mm-hmm. not anticipating. And then I after a while I was like I because I like I said, I was being gaslit. I had to convince myself that no, it is the actual site because ninety-nine percent of the time you hit low left. It's not the sites. So right,
1: right. Yeah, That that's <laughs> the case it was. That's actually a good idea for for a video. I'm gonna talk to Neil about that on the extra channel because yeah, if you're zeroing uh, you know, you, I, th- I think, I think honestly, a bench rest is, is a really good idea, yeah. For you that sh- reason.
2: really shouldn't be zeroing from a standing position like yeah. I was, but but you know, I was like, I eventually I realized this is actually a very tight group, and then none of them are hitting where I'm aiming,
1: so right. it, it can't just be me, <laughs> super consistent flinching is is uh, the name of my the name of my new band by the way <laughs> all right so uh we are here to talk about a couple of things over at the reload.com one of them the first one um is the bump stock ban um there's news about that um according to your story over at the reload the bump stock ban is too ambiguous to stand according to a new court order so talk to us about what court and what they had to say
2: Yes. So this was the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. It's actually uh, another court of appeals is the higher level in the federal court system, right? Before you get to the the Supreme Court. And they found that the ATF's rule banning bump stocks was inconsistent uh, in the sense that the ATF had previously said bump stocks are not machine guns and then decided after the Las Vegas shooting, that they were machine guns and uh, that because there's a criminal punishment for possessing a unregistered machine gun, which is what bump stocks became after this rule mm-hmm. went into effect that something called the rule of Lenity applies. Excuse me. The rule of Lenity. Yes. This is a, oh, we have a little legal explainer here. The rule that, cause this is key. If you recall, we talked about a very similar case not very long ago out of the Fifth Circuit, where they also found the bump stock ban is not constitutional. And they relied as well on the rule of lenity, which is effectively, if the agency that's in charge of enforcing the law cannot decide whether something is legal or illegal, right, then a regular citizen can't be expected to understand that either.
1: Interesting. And so
2: therefore you can't charge someone with crime under that, that, you know, the new interpretation, it, it, it's meant to be a rule that gets impl- applied in favor of the civilian, the person who's accused, right? If if the ATF says one day that bump stocks are legal, and then the next day they say that actually they're unregistered machine guns, because they look at the law and can't figure out what exactly it means, well, then they can't. You can't expect regular people to look at the law and figure out exactly what it means either. That's sort of the principle at play here.
1: Interesting. You know, I, I was uh, I gave the uh, Act of Self Protection seminar last week, and one of the things I, I mentioned it was basically about lessons learned in you know thirty years in law enforcement. And one of the things I discussed was. Uh, you know, people like the sovereign citizen types, you know, um, the, the mm. articles, articles of Confederation types love to go, ha ha, look, this cop doesn't even know the law. Well, when you say the law, uh, that's pretty expansive. I, I used to enforce uh, Title 8, Title 18 of the United States Code, California Penal Code, California Vehicle Code, the California Health and Safety Code, the California Business and Professions Code. And I, I got I got news for you. Most law enforcement officers know the 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 important Stuff they need to know to do their job 99% of the time. And they they just don't sometimes we have to look at the rule book. Sometimes we have to crack open a book and go, huh? Especially immigration law. Immigration and naturalization law is a is an absolute Pandora's box. Uh, you know, when it when it comes to, well, is this person removable from the U.S.? Well, I don't know. You know, and there's like an 18-step flowchart to figure it out and it's not something you're going to get on the side of the road at a traffic stop easily. Uh, so yeah, just a fun fact. Um, no cops know every law. You can't possibly be expected to know every law.
2: Right. And so the idea is, you know, if the agency there, like for instance, if, if, um, if immigration was to one day say that, well, this coming in this way is legal. And they've said that for 10 years and then, and then the next day they say it's not legal. And the, and the statute that they're interpreting isn't crystal clear on the issue, then the way courts are supposed to approach it is to side on, in favor of the person who's being prosecuted. This is only in situations where there's potential criminal uh, consequences. Okay. Right. And so that, that's, that's where, yeah, people follow agency regulation and, you know, the, if you if you care a lot about the power of federal agencies to regulate things, you've probably heard of Chevron deference which mm-hmm. is this principle that agencies should have some level the courts should give the agencies a level of deference you know that they should defer to the agency when they're making rule they're implementing laws by making different rules uh, and regulations right that that's sort of a, a concept that's in uh, in federal. Uh, court uh, case law. And the thing is, people and people talk about that a lot and they talk about it a lot with regards to the ATF, but when you're talking about a situation where criminal consequences could be the result of this variation in how the ATF looks at a law and interprets it and applies it, then the courts are supposed to do the opposite. They're supposed to give uh, basically the the uh, benefit of the doubt to the person accused in these situations. So that that's where at least both the Fifth Circuit and Sixth Circuit have come down on the bump stock ban that was implemented to a, by the Trump administration, right? And one of the big reasons this matters a lot, I think, to, beyond just bump stocks is that the bump stock ban itself kind of set the stage for what president Biden has been doing since he came into office. Right. Mm -hmm. So you had the ghost gun ban, you had the pistol brace ban. These, both of these were rules done through the ATF in the same essential format that the bump stock ban was done. And they have the same issue where, the ATF used to say that unfinished firearms parts or ghost guns, right. Weren't guns, right. They, there's a certain point where this this piece of metal becomes a gun. And that's basically when you can actually put the pieces in it to make it fire. Mm-hmm. And it's not a gun until you get to that point. Right. And, and they changed that in the, the rulemaking. That was the first thing that, that president Biden did one of his first rule. Uh, And which has been restrained by the courts uh, already, but um, is likely to face even stiffer review after these bump stock rulings. And then the second one he did on pistol braces had the same issue. The ATF said for a decade that different pistol braces were not short barrel rifles. That you put them on a uh, an AR-15 pattern. Gun, it does not make them into a short barrel rifle Mm -hmm. if it has you know less than 16 inch barrel, and so millions were sold under this understanding at the time. And then the ATF turned around under President Biden and said, Actually, we take that back, they are short barrel rifles, and you need to register them and pay a tax stamp or you have Mm -hmm. to destroy them. And so that's where I think you're going to see the real effect of these rulings down the line is uh, they're very likely to implicate the other executive orders, executive action on guns that we've seen the last couple of years too.
1: Do you mind if I editorialize for a moment, Stephen, let me just say, I, when I editorialize, when I give my opinion, I, I hopefully always make it plain because Stephen is a real journalist, not some podcast hack like yours truly. So I want to make sure I don't besmirch his reputation with anything, but I got to tell you, and I'm going to go off on a, just a tiny rant here. I loathe executive orders. I loathe rule changes where some bureaucrat somewhere, you know, the president says, hey, make this happen. And they, they find some clever way to, to to make up a new rule that essentially circumvents our, our legislative process. I think executive orders and rule changes should be like almost immediately subject to congressional oversight where, you know, the, where you're represented as the people who, you know, Ostensibly rep- represent you in Congress can go. Okay, well, President so and so passed Executive Order nine thirty four, and it says this. Does that comport with the Constitution? Is it you know is it is it legal? Are we trying to do an end around on Congress because that I, I just feel like they Congress frequently uh, relinquishes their role as as a co equal branch of the government in that way. That's my opinion. I could be wrong. So moving on, our our next... that is
2: something that you hear from uh, critics a lot. Uh, a lot of conservatives think that uh, or conservatarian maybe is the right word for it. Yeah, that's Charles that, Cook, that, somebody who's, who's. I'm a conservatarian often... for sure.
1: i have a libertarian street could be a mile wide. Having yeah. worked for the government, I know that they're terrible at everything and can mess up a ham sandwich. So I don't. I want them in control <laughs> of as little of my life as possible.
2: Partisans are not as worried about this, right? There is a. I will say that there is a. There's something called the Congressional Review. Um, I forget what it's called, but CRS and they, Congress can rescind um, rules that are made in this way. Like the ATF rules have been made if they want to, but they uh, never but, do. Well, they do it like in circumstance, it's generally decided by the partisan makeup of government. So if, for instance, the, that was one of president Trump's few uh, legislative accomplishments on guns was, essentially rolling back, uh, I think it's 60 days prior to a new Congress. If there's rules made in that time, Congress can go in and and roll them back. Mm. And so they, they did that when Tr- President Trump took office because, you know, at the time they had majorities in both houses of Congress. The problem now would be that Republicans have a majority in the House, and Democrats have a majority in the Senate, and the president has to sign on to right uh doing so it's 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 a limited process it does exist but and then obviously also you have the courts which is where you're seeing the real action in terms of blocking these sorts of uh, overreaches by the executive
1: so the other article we're talking about is a member exclusive folks go get a membership the reload.com it's it's not that expensive you by by depression it's not that expensive you can do helps it. helps the economy. Yes. It's good for is Gutowski.
2: <laughs> right. I like that meme, uh, yeah. people sharing that anytime they want to spend money on something. Yes. It's pretty good. It's good for the
1: economy. All right. So is an <laughs> analysis piece written by one Stephen Gutowski. Uh, and it says, the NRA's internal fight is over. Wayne LaPierre won. We got about eight more minutes here, Stephen. So talk to us mm. about this. Um, I, I was there, although I, I'm loath to attend rallies, speeches. I hate them all with every fiber of my being. So I wasn't there. You had to be there cause it's your job. So talk to us about what you saw there at the NRA annual meeting. Yes. So
2: the reason that I've declared as such that the internal fight at the NRA is over has to do with what happened at the annual meeting this year, which was that two the two remaining vocal critics of Wayne LaPierre's, uh, you know, it's personal spending, their use of NRA funds for things like private private jet flights and suits and yeah, you know, luxury vacations in Italy, so on and so forth. Those those two guys that were left are no longer there. They're gone. Uh, it's Frank Tate and Phil Journey. They were the last sort of vocal dissidents on the NRA board. And they are now gone. Plus. At the members' meeting, you not only got um, two resolutions that were designed to try and oust LaPierre and President Charles Cotton from their positions through a vote of members at the members' meeting, uh, which failed. We got about a third voted for them and about two-thirds voted against them. Mm -hmm. But also Wayne got a standing ovation, after he gave his speech during the members meeting, he also got one after he gave his speech at the leadership forum, which is where he pre- former President Trump and uh, a number of other Republicans spoke. So he had a fairly warm reception in addition to defeating the last remaining vocal opponents he had internally and squashing any sort of member driven reform effort at the members meeting.
1: So it, we, I come back to this with some frequency with you and I apologize. Is there any, there's just, I, I hate to sound despondent. Is there no way for the the members of the NRA to fix this? And uh, do you think they're, that the average member is paying enough attention? People have lives to live, you know, they got bills to pay, they have kids to raise, you know, and all that sort of thing. So not everyone can get down into the minutiae. Well, this isn't really minutiae. Not everyone can be um, aware of all the goings on with the NRA and its board. I mean, is there? Do you have any suggestions? Because I'm frankly out of them. I'm, I'm afraid the NRA is is headed downhill kind of rapidly.
2: Yeah. So I had Frank Tate, the former board member slash Wayne critic, on the, my podcast, uh, the Weekly Reload podcast uh, last week, and so you know he he gave he gave a really good detailed explanation of how the board actually works in practice mm-hmm. and also his explanation for why it's effectively impossible to reform the NRA internally. Uh, you know, there's a 76 member board, the board, uh, there's a committee on the board that controls who gets nominated to be on the ballot that gets sent out to uh, NRA members. And of course, only about half of the NRA members actually get to vote in these elections. Cause you have to have, a lifetime membership or five consecutive year membership. And um so there's, a, there's quite a number of ways that the board exerts control over who gets on the board. Mm-hmm. There are some workarounds, you know, there, there, that's how Frank Tate got on there. For instance, you can go by petition uh, and actually because um, it's actually getting easier. And one of the reasons is, not not a good one right uh it's sort of uh to to answer your other question i think most people who have been off put by the accusations of corruption have responded not by trying to change things internally but i think that because there's a lot of pessimism over how much influence how reg, regular members can actually have. Warranted on the, pessimism,
1: whether, I would say, yes.
2: Yeah, I mean, you could listen to the Tate interview for, for that point of view, right? Um, there's a lot of that pessimism that exists. So instead, people have taken to leaving, right? They've lost a million members over the last four years. And this... This annual meeting, they had a resurgence in attendance to the actual show itself. It was 77,000 people as opposed to 61,000 mm-hmm. in 2022. Uh, of course, that's still down from their previous, you know, pre COVID era where they had, they'd usually get 80,000 plus. I think 86,000 was the highest they'd ever had. So it, it's not quite the same. I mean, they had the 2019 annual meeting, which was uh, in Indianapolis as well. The, Big political speeches were held at the football stadium, at the Colts football stadium, literally right. on the field. Yeah,
1: we talked about that, uh, I remember.
2: Yeah, this year they had it at, uh, you know, just a regular conference hall. It was still, it was well attended, but it's not the same scale, obviously.
1: At a Denny's um, by the airport.
2: But, you know, the other, despite that increase in attendance at the show, you actually had a decrease in the number of people who voted in NRA board elections. It's what the one of the lowest levels they've had in, in a long time. I think it was um, something like, like 75,000 people voted out of, you know, 4 million plus members that they have total, about 2.5 million of which can actually vote in, in elections. And so, um, you know, engagement is down for the internal governance by members at the NRA. And now that does make it uh, somewhat ironically a bit easier for dissidents to get on the board because the number of signatures you need to get on the ballot through petition is a percentage of how many votes are cast. So mm-hmm. I think it's only like 300 something now. Um, if people wanted to run for the board, of course the problem as Frank lays out in the interview I did with him is that, so that only a third of the board is up for election each year. And realistically you'd have to run dozens of candidates, reform candidates in order to get, enough people on the board over a two to three year period to actually have, you know, a significant amount of influence over how the NRA operates. You could get a couple token people on there. It's what's what they've had the last four years. Uh, You've had a couple of dissident board members who have made noise or they've uh, tried to do, you know, some legal maneuvering to change things. But, uh, you've never really had a major presence, um, even even though you had you know significant backing from people like Oliver North and Alan West, who are well known um, you know NRA board members. Uh, but yeah, I mean at this point, it, I think a lot of the dissidents who've been tr- you know fighting continually on this point for the last four years uh, are putting their hope mainly in the New York case and that judge right um to to sort of uh reform the NRA from the outside so yeah the the internal fight is uh at least at this point you know I don't want to say that it couldn't come back like I said it's easier to it'll be easier for reformers to get on the board now this next election uh how many are left who still want to do that is is a bigger question but for the moment, uh, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of hope uh, among people who want to see Wayne gone or the NRA change directions strategically. Uh, you know, at this point, there's just no good reason to think that's going to happen.
1: So if you're listening to this, dear listener, hopefully soon dear viewer, uh, and you're in the NRA and you have friends who are in the NRA, spread the word. Tell your friends. Uh, start your own petition. Get, in, get involved because we need the NRA to survive. We need them around. Uh, because there's no one uh, ready to take their place. You know, I, I frequently end this segment with, if you're, if you're lamenting the lack of oh, down... You get the rest of that. So I feel like I need some new alliteration. I just came up with it. If you are despondent <laughs> over the dearth of oh, down the middle, look it up. I think
2: dearth is... Is dearth, like,
1: I guess... Yeah, well... It makes me think of girth. Yeah, well, yeah. All right, this is a family show. Um, <laughs> if you are lamenting the lack of down the middle same sober reporting on the second amendment all things gun related supreme court uh congress uh the president you name it the nra steven is our guy he knows what he's talking about he knows people he knows people people and i would appreciate if you went over to the reload.com and consider getting a membership he relies on his membership dues or fees as it were uh to do what he does and to continue his important work steven thank you so much i'll see you next week
2: Absolutely.